I have always been intrigued by this story of Jesus healing the ten lepers and then only one of them coming back to say thank you. I always think of the joke that pastors tell about the importance of enunciating. That is lepers, not leopards. Um, with this passage. It's a very important detail. But it's an important story for us today because we're continuing to ponder the question of stewardship and our understanding of stewardship over these last three weeks as a life that is all in with God. And today this expression of gratitude seems to be a natural element in a life that is all in with God. Because when Luke wrote his gospel, he shaped the stories about Jesus that he had heard into one great big story that helped his early Christian community understand the good news in their own time and place. <clears throat> to help them hear God speaking good news to them right where they were. And to shine a light on the problems and issues that inevitably come when people get together. And so many of the gospel stories reflect the early Christian community working out who are we? And why don't all the other Jewish people follow Jesus like we are? And so I imagine in Luke's community, they would have heard this story with these questions in their minds. And presumably they would have thought, wow, only one person? The outsider recognized Jesus for who he was? Not even the nine from his own people? And I feel like that interpretation and that tone is maybe not all that far off from contemporary Christian understandings and interpretations in our communities. These nine, man, they get slammed for not coming back to say thank you. These nine are assumed to be folks who thought they deserved to get healed. They dare to take Jesus for granted. But the Samaritan, now he's the one who got it right. So, quick little moral of this story, let's be like the Samaritan. Be truly grateful, and then let's move on to another story. How's that sound? <laughs> Not so fast. <laughs> Free-for-all folks can attest. Not so fast. That's too easy just to say let's be like the Samaritan because they're the ones that always get it right. It's very easy for us in the 21st century to identify with the Samaritans in Luke's story. That was not the case 22 centuries ago, 2,000 years ago. Thanks. Because we forget often in Jesus' day that the enmity, the conflict between Jews and Samaritans was deep. These two groups disagreed about just everything, basically, that mattered. How to worship God, where to worship God, what scriptures to use when worshiping God. And they avoided social contact whenever possible. Because Luke knew this. And so he purposefully, I think, identifies one of these ten lepers as a Samaritan to push the boundaries of welcome in the community 
and push the boundaries of mercy in the human heart. It's another one of what Luke's ways of showing that discipleship is going all in with Jesus, even identifying with people you think are the worst. Because God loves the people we think are the worst. And if we're going to be all in with God, it's finding ourselves in the people we think are the worst. And so to live a life of stewardship means continually identifying the needs and desires of our hearts, the parts of ourselves we want to keep separate and under our control and management. And when we identify that, to give it over to God, over and over and over again, giving it to God who created all things and in whom all things hold together. Because this is a story so much more than just saying thank you. It's a story that shines a light on our need to be recognized and thanked in order to do the task that God calls us to do. And how we hear Jesus' words, the tone in his voice, is the key that makes all the difference in how we hear good news. So let's think back through this passage. From their mats on the outer edge of town, ten lepers see a dozen or so men walking in their direction. And as the group gets closer, one of them is recognized to be Jesus. This healer who has been known to heal illnesses and diseases of all kinds. These ten decide together to call out to Jesus, asking for mercy. I love that they let Jesus decide what form mercy will take. And they trust that Jesus will see them and will know how best to grant that request. I love that. That sense of recognizing Jesus is Jesus and will do Jesus' job when Jesus sees us. That takes courage and faith to believe that what is impossible is possible when Jesus comes to town. And so Jesus sees them, tells them to go and show themselves to the priests, who would also look at them, see them, and determine whether their leprosy had been cured. There was no arguing or doubt. They all went, hoping against hope that by the time they got there, they would be made clean. Something would be different. And it happened. Somehow on the road back to their village, their skin was restored. As they left Jesus and made their way back towards town, they were changed. And so I wonder if they were running, not just walking. I wonder if they were talking as they hurried back to community what their conversation was about. If they talked about what they wanted to do when they were healed, the first thing, the first five things. What was the process of entry like when that stigma of being unclean and so kept apart was lifted? And I wonder who noticed the change first. 
I imagine it was the Samaritan who noticed things first because he still had a lot to lose from this restoration. But he looked at his arms and his hands, realized he didn't see any more spots. He didn't see any spots on his friends. And he is just over the moon. Let's go back and say thank you. Come on, we know it was Jesus, y'all. Let's just go. Who's with me? And I think in his joy, he turned around so fast and took off in the opposite direction. He didn't know he was the only one. But again, this is a story that is more than simply saying thank you. It's also a story that exposes how we hear the words of Jesus and invites us to hear them again for the first time. So let's imagine the same story, but standing next to Jesus. As he watches the people hurry away, maybe he's got a faint Mona Lisa smile on his face because he's wondering how long it's going to take them to realize that the instant they cried out for help, this mysterious healing work of God was already taking place from their insides out. But the text, Luke doesn't end the story there. It's not a nice, neat ending where all ten go back to their lives. And Jesus goes on his way with the disciples. One came back. So the story keeps going. And that's where it gets interesting for us as readers and hearers in the 21st century. Because it comes back to Jesus' tone. How we hear that question. We're not ten of you made clean. Where are those other nine? Was none of them found to come back and give thanks except this foreigner? Could Jesus maybe have spoken it in frustration? That only one out of ten came back? I've heard stories, I've heard sermons and read Bible studies where that's sort of the implied tone of voice that Jesus takes. He's a little annoyed that only one came back. But what if we hear it differently? What if we hear it? Didn't I heal ten of you? The other nine? They're on their way. But you, dear child, beloved one, you got it. You came back. So well done. You understand what true healing and faith feels like. If we hear Jesus saying it in love and approval, because this one got it. And what a wonderful, delightful surprise that is. This passage sounds different all the way around. Because how we interpret Jesus' tone, I think, tells us more about ourselves than about Jesus. And about how we react when we do something and don't get thanked. Because I don't think Jesus expected to get thanked. Because healing them was never dependent on being thanked. That's just what Jesus did. Which then begs the question for us, what about when we don't get thanked for the work that we do? 
Do we still do it? Even if we don't get recognized? What's our motivation? For many people, it is the expectation of recognition and public thanks for their charity or their gift by the recipient. When I worked at a nonprofit in college, I helped with fundraising and development as part of the organization. And I always got a little weirded out when I had to go buy a tangible gift to give to a donor who had just given a large chunk of money to the organization. It just never quite lined up for me that, that we're gonna spend money to thank people for giving money. But I understood the etiquette because you want to show the appreciation to people to ensure their continued financial support. That makes sense. That's good business. That's being good humans. People need to know what they do matters. But I think the reality is, though, nine times out of ten, they're not going to come say thank you. Nine times out of ten, we don't get a thank you note. And maybe this is the issue that rubs so many of us the wrong way. Because deep down, we expect it. And that leads down a little bit further along the road. Maybe we're entitled to be thanked. And then what happens is our compassion and our mercy and our choices come with strings attached. I will continue to care for you. I will be interested in you and what you're about and support you only if you make your gratitude plain for me doing so. Yikes. But even if 90% of people fade away without a word of thanks, all people still need love, need to know that they are worthy of respect and dignity. And being motivated solely for the gratitude being expressed, I think misses the point that Jesus is making because Jesus did not heal anyone to be thanked. Nothing Jesus did was conditional when it came to bringing healing and restoration to folks who were marginalized and outcast from mainstream society. Jesus is God in human form, come to show us just how unconditional God's love is, how all in God is with us, and desires for us to be the same in return. I don't believe God withholds God's mercy and love if we don't say thank you immediately or often enough. I think we're more likely to withhold ourselves from experiencing God's love and mercy because we think we need to approve of what is happening in order to be thankful. I love how Barbara Brown Taylor puts it. It's the quote in your bulletin when she speaks of the plan for her is to replace approval with gratitude. And that's brave talk. She's right. It's brave to talk about being grateful before you know how things will turn out. But that's the kind of brave talk 
and brave vision and brave living that Jesus did and expects all of us who would be his disciples to live as a necessary part of an all-in life with God. So gratitude opens the door wide to receiving God's unconditional message that each of us is beloved simply because we are. We are beloved because we are. Each one of us. And since I am lovable to God and you are lovable to God, everyone is lovable. Which leads me to more gratitude, not less. And then to care for those in society who need to know they are lovable, who are at risk, whose backs are against the wall, even if nine times out of ten I don't hear thank you. Because remember, for Jesus, it was only one out of ten. But for that one, it made all the difference. All ten were healed, but only one understood the significance of that healing. All ten were cleansed, able to enter ordinary life. But only one decided they didn't want to live an ordinary life. Only one, in spite of the fact that they were an outsider, or maybe because they were an outsider, came back to stand with Jesus, ready to live all in with God. Only the one who has nowhere else to go, nothing left to lose, and everything in the world to gain, returns to Jesus. Only the one who can take nothing for granted falls deeply in love. Only the one who longs body and soul to find a home for himself or herself or their self receives salvation. So may we dare to draw close, to call out to Jesus for the into me see intimacy of mercy and find our way to truly living faithfully, actively, and joyfully. May we move past politeness and find compassion so that then, maybe, we will discover what happens when gratitude spills over into love. Amen. Amen.